listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. Hope you're doing good. Um, excited to be here this morning. Excited to be with you. Uh, we're in a series right now called Every Person Has a Purpose, and we are actually going to continue that series next week. Um, and uh, I just felt this morning um, that God uh, wanted me to share something a little different and uh, took me to some of my own quiet time from this week. And I just want to share some thoughts with you uh, from that quiet time, from the time that I spent with God this week and what I feel like the Lord spoke to my heart. And so how many of you here today um, have situations or circumstances in your life that uh, maybe you could use hope in your life right now? You could use some hope. And uh, today I hope that I hope uh, that I can point you to that and uh, that we'll walk out of here realizing who the source of our hope is and what our hope is about. And so um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter four. We'll be in Romans four or go to your, on your phone, whatever um, you use. And if not, I believe it'll be on the screen for you. Uh, and uh, you can follow along, but Romans chapter four. Um, let's pray real quick and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it speaks to our lives. God, um, I know there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in people's lives right now. I know there are a lot of circumstances that people are facing that are difficult. And God, I pray that today we would be able to sink our, our spirits deep into the hope that is in Christ. God, I, I pray that you would speak during this time. Lord, just be powerful in this moment. And God, just do what only you can do and change our hearts. Open our eyes to see you more clearly. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it's been about a week and a half ago now, um, I had a friend of mine invite me to come and do a workout with them. And this workout was in a pool. It was in a, in, in a pool at Splash in the Borough. And so I thought, well, might as well give it a shot. They said, you'll love it. It's going to be awesome. I was like, well, I've been working out in the gym. I was like, let's give this thing a go, see what happens. And so I get there. And the first thing I see is a couple of ladies um, who were a little older than me um, over in a pool. And they were kind of doing like toe raises and bouncing around. And, and I, I was like, I got this right? I got this. And so I go and, and, and I start to check in and, uh, and, and the guy who was checking me in actually goes to church here and he looked at me, he goes, you're not going to do this, are you? I was like, yeah, why? He's like, you'd be better to go get in your truck and just leave. And I was like, oh no, I, I'm going to do this. So I sign in, um, I paid money to do this. Um, and, uh, then I go out and I run into the lifeguard who was on duty and he, he said, what are, you, what are you here to do? And I told him and he goes, you're kidding, right? I was like, what? I mean, do I look that out of shape? Come on, give me a break. And so I, I, he said, that, you know, you don't want to do this. This is not something that, that you want to do. She's got a puke bucket that she makes people use. And I was like, that does not sound fun, right? And so anyway, uh, I, I walk out there and, and finally about 6.15, uh, we get into the swim pool. Number one, I had to be there at six o'clock. That's strike one, right? Strike two is people telling me that she's got a puke bucket. Strike three was the actual event. I get into the pool. This is the routine. Um, you swim a lap, which I never swam a lap in my life, okay? I, I, I would be much better at drowning than I am swimming, okay? And so I swim the first lap. You get out and you do some upper body stuff. You get back in, you swim another lap, and you get out and do leg stuff. You get in, you swim another lap, and you get out and you do 
core stuff like sit-ups and, and plank and all this stuff. And then you swim down and back and you start over and you do this for 30 solid minutes. After the first two laps, I had one of the swim boards and I'm using that to like stay afloat, right? It was that bad. I was burning, I was hurting from head to toe. And by the time this thing was over, this is no joke, I've got one hand on a swim board, I'm kicking my feet as hard as I can kick them, which was not very hard at this time. And I've got this arm doing like this, just holding on for dear life. And, and when I first started swimming, I would be swimming along and I'd try to go up for air and I'd turn my head out of the water like you see them do on the uh, TV when they're swimming those laps and they're like in the Olympics. And I tried to do that and I swallowed as much water as I got air. And so here I'm, I'm about to die, right? And I had this feeling like I'm literally going to drown in this pool. I couldn't touch the bottom. I was like, this is not good. Um, this is not gonna end well. And I had this feeling of drowning. The funniest part is I get out of the pool and I start to walk back to my truck, thanking God that I survived. And I'm walking by and the two ladies that I'd seen before, that one of them just out of nowhere just goes, sir, you did a good job. I was like, well, thank you. No, you really, really did a good job, sir. And I said, well, I really, really appreciate that. Because it didn't feel like I did. I said, it was a big struggle for me. And she goes, oh yeah, now we were praying for you, but you did a really good job. And so I'll tell you that story to say, one, I like land, right? I like the land. Uh, but two, I had this feeling like I was gonna drown um, the whole time and, and uh, just like I wasn't gonna make it. And, and I feel like that's how we get in life sometimes. I feel like we kind of feel like we're going under and there's nothing we can do about it. We just get tired, um, we get worn out and we need hope in our lives. We, we are people who live in a world that is fallen. We live in a world that's been marred by sin. We live in a world that's dark in many ways. We live in a world that's full of disappointment, that's full of hurt, that's full of uh, um, difficulties and, and we need hope. We need to have hope. And today, that's what I want to talk to you about out of Romans chapter four. So if you have your Bibles, you can look there. Let's read the first few verses and then we'll talk about those. It says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? And let me set this up for you because the first thing I want you to understand is Paul in the book of Romans is going through and he's talking about righteousness. He's talking about the fact that in the beginning that we have no righteousness of, of our own. And then he talks about how we can gain that righteousness through Christ. And then he talks about how we grow in that righteousness through a process called sanctification. And so that's what the book of Romans in a nutshell is about, is about God's righteousness. What Paul's talking about here is that we can't earn our righteousness by works and by the things that we do. And so when he says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter, what he's saying is, what did Abraham, our forefather, the father of our faith, the one who God reestablished a relationship with so that um, he could claim a people for himself, what did Abraham figure out in relationship to this? What did he figure out um, in relationship to how he became righteous and how um, righteousness comes through works or righteousness comes through another way. And so that's what it's talking about. It says, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, justified meaning that he was made right with God um, by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
See, our hope is ultimately gonna fall in the gospel. We're gonna find it in the gospel. Um, the gospel is our source of hope. And what Paul is doing is he's laying the groundwork to show us how that hope comes into our life. And what he's talking about with, with Abraham is he's saying, and he's laying it out there, how did Abraham become righteous? What made Abraham right with God? Basically what righteous means, as if you never sinned, giving you perfection. What is it that Abraham did um, that made him righteous? And that's what he's gonna show show us in here. And there's some things that the gospel does in our lives. There's some things that the gospel really in a way forces us to do. And I want you to see some of these things today. The first thing that I see in these first few verses is that the gospel forces us to humility. It forces us to humility. So you can't come to faith and surrender to Christ until we come to a place of humility. It says here that Abraham himself had nothing to boast about. Why? Because Abraham didn't do anything to make himself righteous. All he did was believe. It says Abraham believed God. What did he believe? He believed the promise that God gave him that one day through, even though he was old, even though his wife was old, even though they should not be able to have children, he believed the promise that one day God was gonna give him a son and that one day that son was gonna become uh, a great nations of people, which has happened, that we see that, that that has been fulfilled. And so when we look at this, what we see that God is, is talking about through Paul as he writes in this is that Abraham believed the promise, the promise was believing the promise was credited to him as righteousness. And so I want you to see that, but in order for us to receive it, we have to come to a place of humility. See, the gospel causes us to, to fall on our face before God, recognizing that we cannot save ourselves. It causes us to come to a place where we recognize that our self-sufficiency falls short, that there's no such thing as a self-made man in the eyes of God. None of us are able to do enough good to cause us to be right with God. Only God was able to make us right with himself. And so the first thing that happens is we have to become humble. If we're gonna have the hope of Christ, we have to come to a place of humility where we surrender ourselves to him, where we surrender our plans to him, where we surrender our lives to him and we let him have it all. And we say, God, it's yours. I trust you with it. I believe your promises are true. I believe your promises about Christ are true. I believe you got my life in your hands. I believe you'll take care of it. I believe you're good. I believe you're faithful and I believe you're sovereign and I believe you're gonna do everything that you promised and I believe you're powerful enough to do those things. And so we come to this place where we lay it down before him in humility and in trust. That's the beginning of hope, is recognizing that we can't save ourselves, that we can't do this on our own. Now when a man works his wages, this is verse four, are they not credited to him? His wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who, credit, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. What he's saying here, is listen, when you work for something, you, you earn what you, what you get. He said, when you work for something, it's not a gift that's given. It's, it's basically whatever you earn, whatever you agreed upon, the wage that you work. If one, if one of us worked all week and we didn't get a wage, man, we would be crying foul, right? And what he's saying here is, listen, if you work for a wage, you're gonna get what you deserve, but it's not credited to you as a gift. It's something that is owed to you. So here's the thing that we have to realize as Christians. If we were given what we were owed, we'd all be in hell because our sin has separated us from God. And the right thing for God to do is to punish that sin. 
God is holy, he's other, he's different, and he can't be in the presence of sin. So what he should do, what he should have done is separated us from himself for eternity, but God had another plan because God loved his creation so much and he loves us so much, he had another plan and another way for us to come to him. Basically, this entire chapter, an entire Bible really, is pointing us to God's righteous way of making the unrighteous righteous. It's God's just way of justifying the unjust. Because if God had done this any other way, he'd no longer be righteous because he wouldn't have done the right thing. He wouldn't have punished evil. If God was, had, hadn't done this, then he'd no longer be just because he would not have done justice. But what Paul's showing us is a way, another way that we can come to a place of righteousness in Christ. And he says, if you just believe the promises of God, then what happens is that righteousness is credited to your account it's literally a banking term that, that talks about putting um, money or a deposit into an account. And what it's saying is, listen, if you don't depend on your own works and your own self-righteousness, here's the good news of God, that he makes a way for you to become righteous because he gives you righteousness through his son, Jesus. That's a lot of words. I hope you can follow that because it's the crux of our hope. It's the crux of the gospel that we can't make ourselves right with God. But God, through his grace, his unmerited favor, his, un, his undue love that he gives to us, has made a way that we can come to him through his son. And that's the good news of the gospel. Listen to this. It says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. It says, blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Let me ask you this question. How many of you today feel blessed because your transgressions have been covered, that your sins won't be counted against you? How many of you today, are, 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 you feel blessed, you rejoice in the fact that, that your sins won't be counted against you because of what Jesus has done for you? See, that's the source of our hope. If we don't get that, if we don't grab hold of that, then it's no wonder we live without hope because we're living without the one and without the, the, our focus on the thing that gives us hope in the first place. And so he says that David recognized this. It says, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? When we look at this, what it's saying is basically the Jews thought they would be made righteous by doing a lot of works, by doing a lot of things. And this is something we see in Christianity a lot is that we feel like we're made right with God by doing the right things, by being in church, by doing our Bible study, by praying the right way, by doing the right things. We think that somehow that makes us right with God. What Paul is saying is none of these outward things can make us right with God. He's saying that circumcision, which was a sign of belonging to the people of God, it, it doesn't do anything for you if your heart hasn't been circumcised, if God hasn't done something in you through his Holy Spirit when you came to faith. And so what he's trying to get us to see is that we can't save ourselves, one, and that two, we have to look inside ourselves and see what is God doing. Listen to the rest of this. It says, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. 
And he is also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also listen, this is important, who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. See, the gospel forces us, one, to realize that we are weak towards saving ourselves. We can't do it. The second thing that it forces us to do is look inside ourselves. He's saying, look, it doesn't matter if you've done all the outward things, if the inside hasn't been touched by Jesus, if God hasn't done a work. See, the gospel is so deep. You want to talk about deep Christianity? The gospel is so deep that what the gospel does is it goes down to the core of our being and it begins to change us. And what he's saying is, listen, if it hasn't happened on the inside, you can't make it happen on the outside. You've got to come to a place where you finally say, God, I want you to take over my life. Come to that place of humility. We have to come to a place, and this is one of the most offensive things about the gospel. It it forces us to look at our sin. It forces us to, to recognize our sin. And we have to come to this place of realizing I can't do anything to save myself with my sin. My sin is what it is. I'm wicked. I've been, I am a sinner. I've done things that, that should, that justly would put me um, separated from God for eternity. And here's the reality. If God gave me what I deserve, that's what I would get is separated from him forever. But the reality of it is God's made another way. But until we come to a place of humility, recognizing that we can't save ourselves, that we deserve the punishment of God, then we can't come to a place where we recognize the value of the gospel. See, until we see the darkness of our sin and we see the the hopelessness of our our attempts to save ourselves, we can't come to a place where we see the light of the gospel and where we see the hope of being able to be made right with God through Christ. If we don't come to that place, we we can't appreciate the gospel. And so we live in a place where it's very easy to be self-righteous, where it's very easy to be self-sufficient where it feels like we can take care of ourselves, where we can do the things, do things ourselves, do it on our own. We'll make it on our own, right? But what the Bible is telling us is that that's, that's false. It's not true. And we've all been to a place and we've all been through things that in some way, at some point in time, brought us to the end of ourselves. We know that that place exists. And see people, we need a hope that's bigger than ourselves. We need a hope that's bigger than what we can do. We need a hope that's bigger than our achievements. We need a hope that's bigger than all of our toys and the things that that we feel like are gonna bring us happiness. We need a hope that's bigger than our appearance and how we uphold ourselves in front of people how good we can make the outside look. We need a hope that's grounded in Christ, that's grounded in the promises of Jesus. We need a hope that's true and that's right. So we need to walk in the faith of Christ and realize that that's how we receive this hope. He says, it's not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs. Faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. He's basically saying, look, if you could save yourself, if you could do it on your own, the reality of it is Jesus died for nothing. If we live in this self-sufficiency, not humble before Christ, not recognizing our need for Jesus, not recognizing that I'm a sinner, that the only hope is to be saved by grace. He's saying basically, Jesus died for nothing. The promise is worthless. It has no bearing in your life. And he basically gives two options. One option is save yourself. Do all the good things and save yourself. The second option is this, 
to surrender it to Jesus and say, God, I need you to fall on our face in humility, recognizing our sin and saying, God, I need you to cover my sin. I'm trusting in your promises. I believe you'll do what you said you'll do. I believe you've done what you say you've done. And I'm going to trust in that for my righteousness, not myself. And he says that there's a guarantee that comes with that because it's a gift of God. See, God has no obligation to forgive us of our sin. God has no obligation to forgive. The only obligation God has to forgive us of our sin is the promise he's made that he will do that through Christ. And so he says, I've guaranteed it by my promise. Now trust in the promise. Put your faith in the promise. Lean on the promise of God. But it comes through faith, not by works. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed. See, the gospel shows a better way, a way that's guaranteed. It may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. See, so many times what happens in life is we, we, we begin to lean on our own self-sufficiency. And what begins to happen in life is we find a lot of things that we begin to put our trust in, a lot of goals, a lot of things that ultimately turn to other gods. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have all probably exalted things in our life to a level that really and truthfully, if we looked at what worship is, devoting our life to it, that it encompasses all of our life, other things other than the big G God um, and Jesus have become gods in our life. Many times our own religious work becomes our God. And the thing I would ask you today is what is it today that may be competing for the place of Christ? Because here's the reality of it. Until we see our need for Jesus, we'll never come to a place where we appreciate what he's done. What have you put in the place of God? What have you put in the place of Christ? What have you put in the place of Jesus? What holds that seat of authority in your life? I'll be honest with you. Um, for me, I realized through some events that have taken place lately that, that the church had become a little G God for me. This is how I knew it. It began to drive my emotions. It began to drive everything about my life. It began to dictate so many things in my life. And I realized that what God was showing me is that this had become a God in my life. Is the church a bad thing? No, but it becomes, when it becomes another God to me, it is. My question to you is what is it in your life that maybe is taking the place of Jesus? This may be taking your eyes off of him. This maybe made you feel somewhat self-sufficient. This made you think maybe even that, you know, I've kind of got this down now. See, we never come to that place as Christians. We realize we're always a work in progress. We realize that God's always taking us from one place to the next. What is it in our lives that we've trusted in? Because see, here's the thing, whatever you put your trust in is gonna be the source of your hope. Is what you're trusting in, what you've put your hope in, is it able to sustain you? Is it able to do for you what God can do? The answer to that is no. If our hope and our trust is in anything other than him, then it's false. It doesn't work. It can't do what we think or want it to do. It goes on in verse 17 and says, as it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. So this is huge. Because if we're gonna trust in God and we're gonna believe in his promises, then one, we have to believe in his power and two, we have to believe in his faithfulness. 
And what Paul does here in the end of this verse is he tells us that God gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. He refers to two of the greatest miracles that ever took place. One was the resurrection and the other is the creation. And he talks about this, the one who gives life to the dead uh, and the one who calls things out of nothing into being. And if God can do that, if God is that good, if God is that faithful, to raise Jesus from the dead as he promised throughout all the centuries. If God is that powerful to create something out of nothing, then isn't he worthy of our trust? Isn't he worthy of us placing our trust in him and and yielding our lives to him? If he's that powerful, if he shows that he is powerful, that he is faithful and he's able to do everything that he's promised that he would do. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. It says, against all hope, Abraham had nothing to hope. He was old. His wife was old. They were past the years of of childbearing. And God says, you're going to have a child. But Abraham believed against hope, why? Because he knew that God was powerful and he knew that God was faithful. And so he continued to hope and he continued to believe. And what ends up happening is God takes what we look at and see as a double death, um, that Abraham was as good as dead and that his wife's womb was as good as dead and God brings forth life. Because that's what God does. If he's able to do that in that situation, if he's able to raise the dead, if he's able to create everything that we see from nothing, then isn't he able to handle our circumstances and our situation? Isn't he able to speak into those those places in our lives where there's despair and and where we're, we're lacking hope and then speaks to our heart and shows us that if we'll put our eyes on Christ, we see our hope. That no matter what tomorrow brings, no matter what today brings, no matter what next week brings, if we'll keep our eyes focused on Jesus, then the reality is we can have hope. Why? Because he's won victory over us or for us and victory over our sin and over death so that we can have life. Have we come to a place of humbling ourselves before him, before God and accepting that? It says, yet he did not waver through unbelief. The Bible doesn't say that Abraham stuck his head in the sand and pretended like it didn't happen. The Bible says that he faced it, but his faith didn't waver because he knew that God was big enough. So when we face circumstances and we face situations that aren't exactly what we want them to be, here's how we face them. We face them in the light of God's promises. Because when you take what, what we're facing and you begin to put it in the light of his promises, what we're facing begins to shrink in the light of who God is and what he's promised. But we have to hold on to those things. And I'm telling you this, this is something that God spoke to me this week and something that I'm preaching not at you, but to you and with you because I'm having to live this out in my own life. I'm looking to Jesus as my hope. I'm fixing my eyes on the author and perfecter of my faith, right? And who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He's walked through his own pain and trial and struggles. And so we come to a place where we can experience life we can experience hope even in the midst of trial and struggle and difficulty. It says that he was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Listen, did he earn it? No. Did he do something great for it? No. 
See, it's not about what we do that's great, it's about what God's done for us that's great. And what he did, he did that through Christ so that we could have a hope that's bigger than this world, that's bigger than this life. The two enemies that man will never overcome on their own, one is sin and the other is death. And Jesus overcame them both. He had victory over them, so he gives us victory over them. And so we come to a place where we realize our hope's not grounded in this world. Our hope is grounded in the one who overcame the world. The Bible's very clear. Uh, Jesus tells us plainly that in this world, we'll have trouble. But he also says, take heart for I've overcome the world. So we put our hope in Christ, our hope's in something bigger, but we've got to come to a place of humility where we're willing to let that go, let the world go, let the things of the world go so that we can have the hope of Christ in us. And that's our faith walk, that's our faith journey, is trusting in him. The Bible says this in verse 22, it was credited to him as righteousness. And then 23, it says, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Here's the whole point of what he's writing right there. This was not something that was just for Abraham, but it's for every person who will ever come to believe in Christ and trust in his promises. That means it's written for you and I. That means it's written for all of us. And his promises become our hope. His promises become uh, what we ground ourselves in. See, I want you to see this. I want you to get this and understand this. See, I don't know where you're at or what your circumstance or what your situation is. I don't know if it's maybe a relationship. I don't know, maybe it's your past. But see, here's the thing, the promise of God is this, that even when our past is, is not good, even when our past seems to try to haunt us, the reality of it is that we become a new creation in Christ. His promise is true. Maybe you're facing a struggle um, at work. Maybe you're facing a struggle in your marriage. Maybe you're facing struggles with your children. Maybe you're facing struggles uh, with, with just anything in life, whatever it is you're facing. The reality of it is God's promises are true, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that he's our provider, that he's our provision, that he will take care of us. We have to come to the place where we surrender to that and trust that. And we just receive that and realize that God's promises are true. I tell you this, and I've told you this before, but I wanna remind you of it again. Whenever I, I'm in a situation that, that doesn't look good, whenever I'm in a situation that uh, has me anxious and confused, I have to come back to this place of remembering who God is because many times in life, we find ourselves in situations that we don't understand. We find ourselves in places that, um, quite frankly, there's no answer for why they're taking place. And when I come to that place and I get into that situation where I don't know why something's going on, I've had to come to this realization that rather than trying to figure out what I don't know, I need to go back to what I do know and trust in God. And what I do know is that God is good that God is sovereign, that God is faithful. And because he's those three things, I know I can trust him. God is good, God is sovereign, and God is faithful. God is good, I see the cross and I see his goodness. I see what he's done for me. 
I see uh, his sovereignty, how he's brought everything in the world along, how he's made promises of Christ and brought Christ into the world and the faithfulness that he had to go to the cross, the faithfulness he had to overcome death and sin, the faithfulness that he had shows me that God is truly faithful. So God is good, God is sovereign, God is faithful. In God's sovereignty, he's able to do what he's promised. And when I see those three things are true, I'm able to trust him, even when I don't know even when I don't know why something's going on, even when I don't know why this pain came into my life, I can trust that His promises are true. That he works all things to the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. And I just trust and I put my eyes on Him. I lean into Him. And the peace that surpasses understanding becomes mine. It's not something that's just easy. It's something that we battle for. It's something we fight for. We have to remember that we're not fighting for a victory. We're fighting from a victory that Christ has already won for us. And so we come to this place of trusting and realizing our hope is in something bigger. It's not bound to the circumstances because God's outside of those circumstances. We can have hope when we're in Christ. You know, there's a lot of words in Romans chapter four, a lot of talk of righteousness and justification, a lot of talk about circumcision and all kinds of things that can be confusing. But here's the point. Because of sin, we had no hope. But Jesus overcame sin on the cross and because of that now, he's given us hope. He's given us hope in life everlasting. He's given us hope that no matter what today or tomorrow brings, He's gonna be there. For those who are in Christ, our hope doesn't have to waver. Our hope doesn't change like shadows, shifting with the change of light. Our hope is solid and it rests in Christ. It rests in His faithfulness and His assurance. So I wanna encourage you today you're in a place where you're struggling, a place where you're wondering what's going on, a place where maybe you're in despair, lift up your eyes to Christ. Lift up your eyes, put your eyes on Him. Trust that His promises are true. Trust that He's gonna be with you. Trust that He is with you. And trust that He's gonna walk through whatever it is you're going through with you. I wanna pray for you. Um, when I'm praying, if, if we can pray for you today, it's just been on my heart to pray for people maybe who are in a place where you just need hope, just in a place where you need God to move in your life. Maybe today it's just coming to the realization that I need to humble myself before God and trust in Him. I need to lay it all over to Him. Maybe today you realize I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I, I don't have his righteousness because I've never put my faith in him. I've trusted all my life in my own works, in my own self-righteousness. And so today, if that's you, maybe today's the day of salvation that you just say yes to a relationship with Jesus. Maybe today is the day you just come and get before God or you come and let somebody from our prayer team pray with you because of the situation and circumstances you're walking through. Don't walk through that alone. 
Let somebody walk through that with you. Maybe today it's just about coming and putting your eyes back on Jesus, putting your trust in Him, finding hope again that He'll get you through what you're going through. That's what I want to do. I'm going to pray. Then while I'm praying, I'm going to ask you, if that's you today and you either one, come to a place of salvation, you say yes to Jesus, then I'm asking you that you would get out of your seat, come down here, make sure you tell one of us before you leave that you want to receive Christ so we can help you take your next steps. Otherwise, if you're here and you just want prayer for something or maybe you just want to get here and be with God for a moment, fixing your eyes on Christ, then you can come. Spend that time here. Whatever it is, when I pray, I'm going to ask you to move. You can come to the front for whichever of those it is. Whatever it is, just respond to what God's doing in your heart. That's the most honest response we can have to God is what God is prompting you to do, do that. I'm gonna pray and you move. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love and grace in our lives. Thank you that you give us righteousness. And God, we have none of our own. Thank you, Lord, that you would move in our hearts today. Lord, our hearts oftentimes are so heavy. And I pray, Lord, that we would lift up our eyes to you, Lord. Would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit and begin to change our hearts, begin to give us hope as we fix our eyes on you. The world becomes so much smaller when we see how big you are problems become so much smaller so many times when we see the work you've done on our behalf. So give us faith to see it, God. Give us eyes to behold it and eyes to see it. Lord, will you do that today? As we leave this place, let us keep our eyes fixed on you. Let us run hard and fast after you. Lord, thank you for the work that you've done in Christ. And thank you for your love and grace in our lives. We just give everything to you. We praise you. God, let all the glory, all the honor be yours. In Jesus' name, amen.